Welcome to the Text Lab, where every week we do a deep dive into the text, and our goal is really simple. We want to help you unpack the text so that you can grow as a disciple who makes disciples. And our hope is that the Text Lab would help you have meaningful study, reflection, conversation about what God says in His Word. And I am here today with Jake. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'm here. I'm excited with Romans 9 to be jumping in. And um, it's definitely been a hard chapter, I feel like, for me to wrap my head around. And in all in all understandings, I haven't wrapped my head around it at all. But how are you doing? I'm doing well. And I, I share with you the... Yeah, Romans 9 is tough. Yeah. I think I am trying to become someone who is comfortable and okay doing two things. One, living with God's mystery and uncertainty, mm. but also not just settling for like, eh, it's too hard. I'm, I'm just not going to think about, about it. it. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to do that. I want to like, yeah. I want to press in, ask hard questions, trust that we really can know truth as we study and discuss and argue. Argue. So, Lots of arguing. With kindness. Yeah. Debate. Yeah. So I'm trying to live in that world as we go through Romans 9 to be comfortable with the uncertainty, but keep pressing on towards truth. Yeah. But it's not easy. No, it's really not. It's not. And it's like, it's, it's sometimes I think it's easier to uh, almost argue or wrestle or like have intellectual hard conversations rather than to like stand back and be like, okay, like look up from, from the complications of it. Just be like, God, I'm worshiping you. Like, yeah. I don't fully understand this. And sometimes I feel more in control when I'm like strangling the text, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes me think that I should allow the complexity of Scripture to direct my heart mm. to God in prayer instead of sometimes I'm just like either I'll like bear down, like get a shovel and start keep digging into Scripture and just like try to dissect it. Yeah. But things become lifeless when we dissect them. Um, Whoa. Yeah, like keep pursuing truth, but do that conversationally with Jesus yeah. when we hit things that feel really tough like like Romans 9. So we're coming to the end of Romans 9. Yeah. It's got th four verses. Mm -hmm. Romans 9, 30 through 33. Um, just some, some really broad context. Mm -hmm. Romans, we'll just think about Romans 9. Romans 9, Paul has been talking about how Israel, his people, have by and large rejected Jesus. And this raises this huge question. Um, the question is, has have God's plans failed? Yeah. Because all the way back in Genesis, we see God choose a people, Abraham's family, and he promises to save those people, to be their God, and then to use them to bless all the nations in the world. But now when Jesus comes, we see those chosen people mostly rejecting Jesus. So it raises the question, did God's plan fail? And Paul's answer is no. Uh, and, and the reason God's plans haven't failed is because God's family has always been defined by faith, not Jewish blood. So even in the Old Testament, we see Jewish people who are not faithfully following Yahweh. Mm. And we see non-Israelites like Ruth who are included in God's family. So it's always yeah. been about faith. It's still just about faith. Um, and so God's, God's plan continues. And so that's where he's going to go today. Now he's going to talk about how the Gentiles are part of God's people. But in our verse today, he's going to get a little more concrete in what happened to Israel. Why couldn't they see and receive Jesus? Yeah. And one of the phrases he uses in verse 32, I think it is, is Paul describes Jesus as a stumbling stone for Israel. So maybe you and I can think about why was Jesus a stumbling stone for Israel? How'd they miss Christ? 
what happened there. Yeah. So a little, that's a little context. You want to read the passage and then we can jump yeah, on in? I'd love to. Okay, we are in Romans 9, uh, verses 30 to 33. Here we go. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. All right. Yeah. So at first he asks this question, what shall we say then? I was just telling you, that feels like yeah. kind of a confusing, weird. Like I never say that. <laughs> yeah. I what shall we say then? I don't then? walk into the office and say, what shall we say then? Totally. Kyle? You know? <laughs> so I think what he's getting at there is he's explained this long, long story about Israel and about how God is still being faithful, even though Israel has largely walked away from Christ, how God's family has always been marked by faith, not Jewish blood or DNA. And so he's basically saying like, what's going on then? What is going on with God's plan? And then he, mm. it, he explains a little bit. He says, the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness by the law, they have actually been made righteous by faith. So he's, he's talking about how Gentiles, after Jesus the Messiah comes, they begin to see Jesus, hear his gospel message, and receive it by faith. And so Gentiles are being saved in the time of Paul's writing. And at the same time, Israel, he says, verse 31, they they pursued righteousness by the law. They were trying to be good enough on their own, mm-hmm. but they couldn't. No. And so they're not righteous. And so this gets us back to our question um, about Jesus being a stumbling stone. Paul says right in the middle, beginning in verse 32, he says, uh, the Israelites, they couldn't make themselves righteous. They couldn't attain righteousness. And he says, why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but by works. And they've stumbled over Jesus, who is the stumbling stone. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts of what does this mean that Jesus is a stumbling stone? Why was he a stumbling stone? Why couldn't they hear his gospel message and just take that to heart and receive it. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Yeah, there's a lot there. I think um, I think to start, you have to look at like what the Jewish people were expecting, what their expectations were. And so their expectations were for this like warrior, conqueror, king mm-hmm. to come and like um, free them from Rome. Like in their day, they're looking for uh, a guy to ride in, not on a donkey, but on a horse and like save them from from like, and of course the prophecy is that he rides in on a donkey and that's kind of the next spot here is like, okay, there's an actual prophecy here that, that the savior when he comes will be a stone of stumbling. Um, and that's what Isaiah, is that what we, what mm-hmm. we saw mm-hmm. there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and Isaiah, what are the verses? Do we have it written? Isaiah eight. Uh, I can look back. 14 to 15. There you go. And he says, and he will become, he being the Messiah that will come, becomes a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall be, they shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Um, this is from Isaiah. This is a prophecy of when the Messiah comes um, to Israel, to the Israelites, to the chosen people of God, they will stumble over the, the stumbling block, quote unquote, that is Jesus. That is the Messiah. And so there's actually, um, 
it's prophetic that Israel is going to stumble over them. And that's like, whoa. So mm-hmm. with this question that we're asking at the beginning is like, did God fail? Did God's plans fail? Um, this was a part of his plan. And I'm always thinking when I read prophecies like this, like, how did they not know like, oh, there's going to be stumbling that's going to happen. And then it's going to lead to something like Zechariah 14, which is the warrior king mm. stuff. If you mm-hmm. want to look at Zechariah 14, it's the day of the Lord um, riding in and conquering stuff. So there's a ton of Old Testament things. And I'm not sure I articulated that very well, but maybe you can sharpen what I'm saying a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I think yeah. it's super helpful that they have very clear expectations of what they think the Messiah is going to be. Right. And Jesus does not fit that. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking this is going to be like, I'm probably going to butcher this, but we're going to do a little history lesson. Okay, go. Okay. So I learned this when I was in seminary. So if you go all the way back to, um, I'm forgetting if it's Exodus or Numbers. I think it's Numbers. It is Numbers. Um, there's a story about a guy named Phineas who mm-hmm. is zealous for the Lord. And when Israel is beginning to worship false gods, as they begin to um, marry people who don't worship Yahweh, there's this really intense story where Phineas kills this guy who's sort of uh, married this person or is with this person he shouldn't be, and he's worshiping this God he shouldn't worship, and he's kind of doing this thing that is an affront to Yahweh, and so Phineas is zealous, and he kills this guy. Um, and God actually smiles upon this act because he's preserving the holiness of the nation mm. and keeping them from pursuing false gods. Um, and if you fast forward to, I think this is about 300 years before Jesus comes, maybe not that long, there's a guy named Judas Maccabees. Mm. Um, so if you ever read the Apocrypha, there's stories about th- yeah. this stories in there. And at this point in time, Greece has basically taken over Jerusalem and a lot of the Israelites had begun to go the way of, of the Greeks in yeah. their worship and their lifestyle. They've abandoned the law. And there is a guy, a Maccabee, who leads this revolt against yeah. Greece. And one of the things that he says is we, he basically articulates that we have to adhere to the law. So there are even stories about there when they're, they're like these rebel forces hiding up in the mountains, fighting the Greeks, and they wouldn't fight on the Sabbath. So they might be like Whoa. in war and then they would go retreat to like their caves to practice the Sabbath. Hmm. And eventually, um, gr- Greece is being hammered by all sorts of nations on all sides. Uh, the Greeks are defeated. Uh, Israel gets their land back. And so at that point in time, the people received this, understood this as we followed the law. So God gave us back our nation. And so now you come to Jesus' time, Rome has taken over. And so people like the Pharisees believe wow. the way we're going to get our land back is if we follow the law. Yeah, That's how God is going to uh, help us reclaim yeah. our land. And then some Messiah will come who's going to lead us just like people have been led in the past, a new Phineas yeah. who'll be zealous and who's going to overthrow Rome. And so what we need to do is we need to keep the law. And if we keep the law good enough, the Messiah will come and he will lead us to victory. And so yeah. that's in their mind. That's their recent history is they're waiting for this context. Yeah. Messiah King. But the only way they think that that's going to happen is if just like our forefathers, we are it's zealous to keep the law and we, yeah, we, and, and so they start adding laws. Yeah. To make sure that they don't break any of them. Mishnah. And so they're yeah. so focused at this time that our salvation is going to come when we are good enough at keeping the law. And then Jesus comes and he starts describing, preaching a gospel where salvation comes through faith, yeah. not by your works. Um, he, the Gentiles are invited in and not 
because they keep the law well enough. They don't have to become Jewish people to be part of God's family. So this is like, it's easy for us to look back and be like, those idiots. Yeah. How could they not see it? But they're living in a world and in a culture that has trained them to think this is what the Messiah is going to look like. And so they miss it, which is tragic. It's so tragic. And that's Paul's heart too, which is so good. Like that makes sense. Understanding Paul's heart He's like, if I could trade places, I would in the beginning of Romans 9 and the beginning of, of 10. Um, his heart is broken for that. That's such good context. Ooh, no, sorry, that that did, little, you did not little butcher Bible, that. A little Bible nerdy. Well, I'm no. sure I did butcher something in there. Somebody can go check the history oh, no, on great. all that. So, I mean, the big idea here is that God is doing this. It feels like a new thing, but it's always been God's plan yeah. to bring the Gentiles in, in this unique way through faith in Jesus. But, but like you said, this has always been the plan. Mm. This isn't like plan A failed. Now let's do plan B. There's this prophecy from Isaiah a long time ago. But I think the big idea is that people stumble over Jesus. This kind, loving, grace-giving God, people hear his message and see him and they trip. Yeah. And that's, I think, worth pausing to think about. So maybe we can shift into some implications. Do you have thoughts about yeah. why or how Jesus is a stumbling block still today? Yeah. Man, it's hard. I think even reading through the Gospels and seeing him perform miracles and people still being like, no, that's not enough. Like, could you do another one? Could you, you know, do the manna stuff? Um, I I think today we overall are a distracted culture. Mm. I think that's one of the main things today is like there's so much noise happening all the time, at least in America and like especially Eldorado Hills and, and where we live right now. Um, it's even hard for me to silence enough to hear the voice of God. And I think that's a huge part of it is we can get so caught up this world, at least in not, not even, um, stumbling over Jesus, but like, (laughs) like just being so distracted, we don't see the stone at all. Yeah. And we're not even walking so that we can stumble over it. I think sometimes you can stumble over something, look back and say, Oh, that was actually the cornerstone, which is kind of the goal sometimes of Jesus. But, um, so distractions is one of them. Um, and then I think also our culture is very, um, you earn this. Yes. You deserve this. You pull you, yourself yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. If you want something, go take it. Yeah. Like if you want to, it's the David Goggins mindset. Like just carry the boats, man. Like be better, be stronger, um, do it yourself. And that is not the gospel in any way. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think that's huge. I think one of the ways people stumble over Jesus is that to receive Jesus, you first have to raise your hand and admit, I can't do this mm. by myself. And that's, that sounds, in, in some ways, that's relieving and nice. Yeah. But there's another part of our heart that loathes the idea of admitting that I can't do something on my own, that I'm not good enough. Yeah. And there is, I, I, I think there, even in Christianity, I think there's a danger of sort of embracing a bootstrap Christianity where you try subtly you try to earn God's grace or his favor. I I actually feel like I I see some of Israel's heart, the, 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 their mindset that stumbles over Jesus. I see some of that in my heart. Like mm-hmm. cognitively, I understand the gospel. I can write a great theology paper about yeah. it. I can I can teach it. But my heart still struggles to to completely trust that God's grace is unmerited, unearned, undeserved. It's yeah. just this gift. And 
I was telling you this story earlier that I always want to chip in. Like I, I want there to be a reason for me to receive something. So years and years ago, I was going to this used bookstore. I love books. And they were selling all these books for literally like a quarter or 50 cents. So I bought 12, 15 books or whatever for a few bucks. And when I was driving away, I realized that I felt really comfortable buying so many books because they weren't free and I paid for them, but they were cheap. And if they were free, I would have just taken one or two because I'm uncomfortable receiving things that are free. And I think I carry some of that mindset with me with Jesus, not not consciously. I don't literally believe that I have to right, do that, but right. some part of my heart likes the idea of like, yeah, it's it's mostly Jesus, but I chip in a little it bit. It feels I'm, good to chip in. Yeah. I'm good enough, and that's kind of why he loves me, or yeah. he loves me more. I'm more forgiven. Something things that we would never say out loud that we wouldn't profess to believe, but they rattle around in our heart. Yeah. And and what's happening is I'm stumbling over Jesus the God man who offers grace freely. And so I, I think some of, we see that in the world as people just stumble over the idea of a God who one demands that you give up your life to follow him, but two stumbles over the idea of embracing your finiteness in a minute. You can't do things on your own. Yeah. We see that out there, but it's also in us. And I think that's, I think that's worth paying attention to. Yeah. I think what came to mind as you were sharing that, which is such a great story is I think that's how I get into a gospel of sin management. Mm-hmm. Of like, if I can just not sin, then I am not that in debt to Jesus. Yeah. Then like, we're more, we're closer. And yeah. like you said, like earlier that he likes me more. Yeah. Like that is so my heart in that. Like I want to be good enough for Jesus. And if I could just like not sin ever and like control my flesh or whatever, um, then I'm good enough to him, you know? And that's just not it. And and it's actually not a life of freedom. Yeah. That's actually like slavery to, to live in that like sin management space. And that's a whole nother podcast to talk about um, what sin looks like and, and saints who struggle with sin. And, and that'd be a good one. That'd be a good one. And yeah. No, that's so minutes. good, man. Cause yeah. Yeah. The, the good news from this passage and from all of Romans is that even when you sin, when you sin, God's love does not waver yeah. at all. And in the throes of your sin struggles, God's grace doesn't depart. God doesn't mm. pull away a little bit to see if you're going to be good enough. He's just always right there, relentlessly loving us. Paul says, it's while you were yeah. sinners, Christ died for you. And I think of the image of the, the father running to the prodigal. I think we just have to like get that seared into our mind that yeah. that is always how the father is pursuing us. Constant sprint towards us. Yes, yes. always. And yes. we like kind of shy away. Like I get mud on me yeah. and I like, I want to go clean myself up and then I'll come back. Yeah. And he's just like hounding us. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. It's so good. So good. And that's how he started in Rome, like Romans 8, 38, like is there's nothing mm. that can separate you. So good. That's yeah. coming into Romans 9, Romans 10 and the rest of it. It's really good. Well, we will wrap up there because we're out of time. I'm sure there's more we could talk about. Uh, but whether you're working out in the gym, cleaning your house, doing your homework, whatever you're doing, hopefully this podcast is helpful. It equips you. It encourages you. Hopefully you can hear us struggling and wrestling with the text. And so you feel free to do that as well. We encourage you guys. Do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead you. And we love you. Now we'll catch you next time on the Text Lab. <laughs>